The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. You can get some satisfaction by listening to The Morning Drive. We are back, everybody. Welcome back. And we are now joined online by Christine Dorchak. And she has, she and Carrie Teal have written a book called Brooklyn Goes Home, The Rise and Fall of American Greyhound Racing and the Dog that Inspired a Movement. Good morning, Christine. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me on the program today. Absolutely. And before we get into so much about Greyhound Racing and the book, I read the book, and it's really good. And it's Well, thank you. Yeah, and I, and I first want to ask you, I just have to ask you this. You were hit by a train? I sure was. You, you've probably heard about the terrible transit system we have in Boston. I have a special uh, animosity against it myself. <laughs> Can you tell us how that happened? I, I read it, and I'm like, wait, she literally was hit by a train? How do you survive being hit by a train? Well, the thing about my accident is that it really opened up my viewpoint, and it's really given me a great deal of empathy for the greyhounds who are injured, and nobody helps them. But fortunately for me, I was helped. I was run down while walking my dog one morning, and uh, we survived somehow. I was pronounced dead on the tracks, but I was revived in the ambulance, and both myself and my dog went through several years of rehabilitation and learning about how to take care of ourselves again in the world. And to make a long story short, it gave me quite a while to consider Uh, what was important in life, and I determined and I knew that my dog had saved my life and I had a debt to pay. So that put me on the course to helping to end dog racing in the United States. Well, and you and so many others have done so much on this. Can you start out telling us a little bit about the battle with the Greyhound Greyhound Racing Association? Uh, And I know you went state to state for a long time and had defeats before you started really putting the organization together and had success. Uh, but first, tell us about just how bad Greyhound Racing was. Well, when we started, there were nearly 50 dog tracks in 19 states, thousands of dogs being destroyed um, because they didn't make the cut, uh, dogs being injured every day at you know tracks across the country. And Florida was certainly the heart of the industry with at one time 17 dog tracks uh, during our fight. Um, So we learned that the important thing to do was to approach each state and each track individually and understand what was happening in Wisconsin versus, let's say, Alabama, and bring the facts to those who were in power to make a difference. So in some states, that meant we had to go before the legislature. In other states, we had the option of going to the ballot, going right to the voters. So what we learned along the way was that greyhounds are truly political animals. And while at the very beginning we knew nothing about politics, we knew nothing about how to run an organization, but we learned along the way. And one of the most valuable lessons we learned was that we could win by losing. In other words, some of our most heartbreaking defeats helped us gain so much information about what to do the next time that we were able to go back and win. And our, our real 
the key to our success has been resilience. Just like the greyhounds, we have kept going, and we've learned that even if we get sued for $10 million, which happened to us early on, for defamation of character, one of the track owners did not like what we were saying about greyhound racing, and he tried to put us out by, by suing us. Well, that failed, and he ended up having to pay all of our costs. We've learned through all these challenges that if we just stay on the field, as one of our board members used to say, keep fighting, we will eventually uh, reach our goal of ending the cruelty of dog racing. And we're almost there. Uh, now there are just two tracks remaining in the United States, both in West Virginia. And we have also brought a, even as we work uh, against those two tracks, we, are, uh, we have filed a federal bill, the U.S. Greyhound Protection Act, which will outlaw dog racing nationwide. And, Christine, let's talk a little bit more about how bad it was when we had all these tracks. Vermont had one many years ago. I think oh. it's been shut down for quite some time in Pownell. The green track was uh, one of the worst dog tracks. Uh, a friend of mine ran the MSPCA um, that received the dogs at the end of the season each year, and it was his job to receive truckload after truckload of greyhounds and to put them down. They were unwanted, and he, it was his job to destroy them. And he couldn't live with himself. He, he, he rationalized and accurately that these dogs would find worse fates uh, at the hands of, of the industry. So putting them down uh, through euthanasia, quote-unquote, would be better than what he knew could also happen. So he did this year after year, and then finally he said enough. He took photos of an entire room of dead greyhounds, went before the legislature, and that was really the key to ending dog racing in in Vermont. Um, And uh, so tell us a little bit more about how bad, you you touched on it a little bit, but I mean the dogs not only have accidents on the tracks where they could break a leg or get killed or whatever, but it's the way they were treated also. They were kept in small cages, and then they were only used for the racing, and once they were no longer you know, valuable in any way, they, they just got thrown away and killed. Well, you know, greyhound racing uh, is cruel from start to finish. It starts when uh, the dogs are born. They're born on private breeding farms, and only the most successful and promising greyhounds even make it off the farm. So you start with that. And um, we, we have, you know, had to live with the idea that there was nothing we could do for those puppies. They were out of our hands, and these were not regulated uh, farms. There was nothing we could do. Our hands were tied. So we focused on the next level, which was when they went to the racetrack. And we learned through state records, state by state by state, that greyhounds were kept in small stacked cages, barely large enough for them to stand up or turn around for 20 to 23 hours a day. Mm. And... Just like you and I, we have a dog. We walk our dog several times a day. Um, when that dog gets injured, if so, we, we get medical care. Well, these dogs didn't have that, that same benefit. Greyhounds are not walked. They would be taken out of their cages two or three times a day for about 15 minutes at a time and basically brought into a small enclosed area, kind of like a litter box for greyhounds, allowed to re- relieve themselves, and then they were thrown back in the cages. 
and they would they race several times a month. They do not race every week or every day. So these their their life is one of sorrow and no socialization. They're in those individual cages, and that's why when the greyhounds who are lucky enough to survive racing get out, a lot of them need help with socialization and learning how to be a dog again. I know you've heard the story. They don't know how to walk stairs. Well, that's that's to climb stairs. That's just one of the examples. They they've been known to run through gla- try to run through glass doors. They don't understand uh, what it's like to be in a home. They don't know what a bed is. When they're at the track, they're kept on shredded newspaper or carpet scraps. Anything, the cheapest way to take care of them. This is a numbers game, and because dog racing is a, has been a dying industry. Um, that we've accelerated the end of, there was very little money to care for the dogs. So that meant vet care was something that they would be deprived of, and it meant that when a dog stopped performing well enough to earn his keep, that dog was a dead dog. And because they were injured when racing, that was an extra expense, and the, there always came a time when the buck was more important than the bark. So yeah. a broken leg would be a death sentence. And a broken leg is, according to state records, the most common injury. So when we went to the ballot in Massachusetts, we found that a dog was injured every three days. And there were no records kept as to what happened to these dogs. So when we lost, um, I know you've read the book, so you know we came out ablazing, but we lost. We lost in the year 2000 in one of the closest elections in state history. Fifty-one forty-nine, and was that was the citizen initiative ballot process? We went to the ballot, and we were outspent five to one. The you know millionaire track owners you know devastated us with all sorts of television ads. Um, they had one with a priest. They had another with a state cop who said there was nothing wrong with dog racing. They had another ad with a woman with her two children running in a field with greyhounds, saying it's. You end dog racing, I won't be able to feed my children. I mean, it was, they really did a great, you know, uh, sell for dog racing, and they came down on us. And what we learned from that um, was that we needed to rely on records, the industry's own records, to show people what was happening. We could, we could no longer, he said, she said, wasn't going to work. We had to go to the legislature and pass a reporting bill, which is what we did in 2001. Yep, Christine. We went on Beacon Hill, and we used those records to end dog racing in Massachusetts a few years later. Christine, we're going to hear, we need to take a break here, but we're going to hear more when we come back from Christine Dorchak about uh, all their successes, where we stand today, and also about the... Uh, Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Talk, continuing our discussion with Christine Dorchak. Uh, she is one of the authors of Brooklyn Goes Home with the Rise and Fall of American Greyhound Racing and the Dog That Inspired a Movement. And uh, Christine has dedicated much of her life to this cause and with, with some defeats but some great success later on. And, Christine, I want to ask you, um, when you started out this cause of, of ending greyhound racing around America and worldwide eventually, 
Um, what did you find more the more difficult process going through the citizen initiative process, which is basically getting petitions, getting a referendum question on the ballot, or the actually having to deal with the legislatures in different states? Well, my uh, question, uh, that's a good question. It really would depend on the state, I think. Um, the ballot question process is one of the greatest opportunities available for for animal advocates or anyone who wants to make a change in the law. And, you know, it's a hard process. Here in Massachusetts, we had the shortest signature-gathering period um, of any state uh, nationwide. So we, we had to collect over 150,000 signatures in about nine weeks by hand. So uh, and we, we did it not only once, not twice, three times, because the first time on the ballot, of course, we lost. The second time, one of the track owners sued us and knocked us off the ballot after we collected the signatures. And the third time was the charm. So it's a hard process, but it's a very fulfilling process, and I really recommend it. Uh, to anyone who has that opportunity to use it um, in any of the 24 states that allow it. In terms of legislative fights, um, you really have to get to know lawmakers and you have to know the process and how it works in the, in the, in the particular state. So Florida was, uh, you know, we were working in Florida for over 10 years, and our bills uh just wouldn't pass both chambers. One year uh, passed both chambers, actually, now that I think about it, but then the governor didn't sign it. So there was heartbreak every step of the way in Florida, and that's why we were so fortunate to be able to go to the ballot. So the ballot is kind of the, you know, the ballot process is kind of the circuit breaker um, in various states, and uh, we're, we're glad we've been able to um, help the greyhounds by going right to the voters. And, Christine, on a personal level, I mean, I, I was a member of the Vermont legislature for a long time, um, and on a personal level, when I was reading the book, I sort of jumped out at me because you talk about one of the heroes for you in New Hampshire, among many, was a guy named Steve Valancourt, and right. he actually is my cousin. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, for goodness sake. Steve was the heart and soul of our campaign, and he... He just wouldn't give up, and as we describe in the book, uh, we we actually lost hope one year, and unbeknownst to us, he kept going, and <laughs> he, he he got out of committee. It was amazing. <laughs> so he he was he was a powerful power powerful man with deep commitments uh, for social justice, and and he really uh, believed in in our cause. And there was a point in the book where he. He got into a battle with the people from the American Greyhound Association in the Ways and Means Committee, and he thought that they were basically trying to stop him from talking. Then he got into a fight with the Ways and Means chair, and uh, but but then he he won on the floor. Oh, he was a great orator, and uh, when he got up before his fellow lawmakers and said, "I have been mistreated by this process. I have something to say. Listen to me." and hear about this important issue. And because of Steve Valancourt, uh, we were able to end dog racing in New Hampshire and close all three tracks. And uh, we've only got a few minutes left. It's going by fast, Christine. But um, you 
of course, as you mentioned, you had your defeats. You kept, you never gave up, which is amazing to me that people didn't get so dispirited with the defeats that they gave up, and, and you never did. But talk about now, about after the successes in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and other places around the country where now there's only two tracks left in West Virginia, but it became a worldwide movement. And talk about the dog Brooklyn and uh, how this became Brooklyn, became the face of the movement. You know, uh, Brooklyn Goes Home, it's written for anyone who's ever loved and lost a dog. And we wanted to tell the story of our work through this magical greyhound whom we happen to be able to save from the only legal dog track in China. He was born in Australia. He was a failed racer. And his cruel owner, and I use that word in quotes, uh, decided to make an extra buck off of him. And he sent him to race at the Canadrome in Macau. There was no adoption program there. So every greyhound that was sent there would die there, one way or the other. And, he, you know, Brooklyn was one of 400 dogs that was shipped to, the, to Canadrome every year from Australia. And this poor dog lived in a concrete cell with no bed, just a miserable existence. He had lost almost all of his teeth because he would chew on the bars of his cage. He was a prisoner who had committed no crime. And when I read about this track in the South China Morning Post, and when our board member went and visited it, she came back with this stunning picture of Brooklyn. And I said to Carrie, we have to close down this track. And Carrie is my co-founder at Grade 2K USA Worldwide, and he looked at me and he said, Christine, how are we going to close down a dog track in China from a one-room basement office in Somerville, Massachusetts? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but we're going to do it. And it took eight years. We had to go to Macau and negotiate with officials, but they agreed that they would uh, cancel the license of the track and allow us to save all of the greyhounds and airlift them to waiting adoption groups around the world. And when we first started, actually a lot of people were doubtful. They said, you're going down the wrong way. People uh, like you, you mean well, but you don't know what you're doing. They're just going to kill all the dogs. And, you know, I said, well, listen, they're killing 400 of them a year. They're going to keep killing 400 of them a year unless we do something about it. So let's try. And that's what we did. And because we were able to unite Greyhound adoption groups and advocates around the world, Brooklyn became perhaps the most famous dog in the world. His picture went around the globe. And we were able to not only save Brooklyn, but over 500 surviving dogs. They went to homes all across Europe the United and the United States. And uh, a few of them even went back to Australia to waiting homes there. It was a wonderful success, and we believed that we could do it. Even though there were a lot of people who doubted us, we felt we, ha we had an obligation to end dog racing there because, you know, um, Americans invented dog racing. So wherever it exists, which is six countries in the United Kingdom, we have an obligation to end it. And the moral of our story is, we still have more work to do. We wanted to share uh, the work we've done so far 
and tell the beautiful story of the dog we saved from a cow named Brooklyn, who has inspired now a worldwide movement to end dog racing wherever it exists. Well, and you think about it, if 400 a year and now it doesn't exist, think about the thousands of dogs that have not been tortured because of your efforts. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to actually put ourselves out of business. We don't want to be necessary. So we want dog racing to end. So, hey, maybe someday I'll be able to retire. <laughs> there you go. Christine, thank you for all the work that and great Grey 2K USA have done in saving greyhounds and shutting down greyhound racing across the country and across the world. Just amazing things that you've done and, and great pictures of Brooklyn in the book. Well, thank you. I hope everyone who right. reads the book will feel inspired. We'll see thank you tomorrow you. right here on New From ABC News. I'm Sherry Preston. This morning, former President Donald Trump will walk into a New York City courtroom, raise his right hand and take the stand, answering questions about the Trump Organization and its real estate assets. ABC's Aaron Katursky is at the courthouse in Lower Manhattan. When he first sat for a deposition in the civil case, he invoked his Fifth Amendment right hundreds of times and read a statement attacking New York Attorney General Letitia James. In a second deposition, Trump answered questions, calling his real estate portfolio the Mona Lisa.